Hey, I'm so glad to see you here this evening. When you came in, you received the message notes. They look like this on the front, and on the inside, you can follow along. The scriptures we use, the points we're making, they'll be there, and then you can take this home as a memento of what we talked about today. So I was wondering, in fact, it struck me just a few minutes ago as we were doing it again, I was wondering if you've ever considered how many Christmas songs talk about darkness. To, to me, that's a bit ironic. It's a little bit of an oxymoron. I my family and I, every year, we like to drive around. We look at the Christmas lights. We talk about Jesus being the light to the world. But in so many of our Christmas carols, there's an awful lot of talk about darkness. In the bleak midwinter, at the end of our service, we're going to sing Silent Night. The truth is, is the Christmas story begins in darkness. Long before Jesus came into the world, about 700 years before that, there was a prophet in your Bible by the name of Isaiah, who about 700 years before Jesus was born, talked about the darkness of the world, that all around you there's darkness. And when Isaiah begins to talk about the future that God wants to bring through this birth of a baby through the Messiah that would come, one of the things that this Messiah would do is he would deal with the darkness of our world. Now, I'm obviously not talking about physical darkness, the absence of photons moving, various layers of electrons to emit light. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the darkness that so many of us in this room have gone through or we're going to go through. It's the darkness of just life that happens. One of the things I like about the Bible, God's Word, one of the reasons why I think it's dependable is when the Bible talks about life, it's very realistic. It doesn't give us a fairy tale engagement of the world where everything's perfect and the heroes always do things right. That's not the Bible at all. The Bible talks about the realities of life in a very transparent way. Whenever I engage people and they say to me, you know, the Bible seems like a bunch of fairy tales, my first thought, I don't often say it out loud, my first thought is you must not have read much of the Bible because all the major heroes talk about life in the most realistic ways. Isaiah the prophet in chapter 9, where we're going to park for a few minutes today as we talk about the meaning of Christmas and what God wants to do there. In Isaiah chapter 9, he begins by saying right there in your message notes or on the screen in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light and on those living in the land, a deep darkness, in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Two times in one verse, as Isaiah begins to talk about the coming Messiah that will happen 700 years later, he mentions darkness. On that very first Christmas evening, when Mary and Joseph were in the stable, it's dark. It's dark, maybe physically, but it's dark in the sense that they're in a town that they don't live in. They've had to travel. While they're on the road traveling, she gives birth. They're paying taxes. It's a troubling situation for them. They want to stay in the inn, but there's no room for them. In many ways, they're experiencing, on the very first Christmas, a lot of darkness. And it's into that kind of darkness that God brings the light of the world. Your first blank on your message notes. Christmas begins in darkness. In fact, it's almost impossible to understand the significance of Christmas without understanding and contemplating a bit the darkness that God was trying to deal with in sending his son. Specifically, on the days that Jesus was born. The Roman government was in power, and for Jesus and his family, his people, that 
That had incredible negative implications. They were under an oppressive regime. They didn't have great freedom. They were being taxed at an incredibly ridiculous level. It was awkward and hard for them. And the religious engagement that they had been used to uh, practicing just even a few generations earlier, that religious engagement was handicapped because of this oppressive government. It was dark for them. The Bible tells us, by the way, in one of the Apostle Paul's letters in Galatians chapter 4, a letter to a church in the New Testament, he, he writes about it this way, that when time had fully come, when time was ready, God sent his one and only son. And so on purpose, God sent Jesus into a dark world, into dark situations. If you've lived for any length of time at all, you know how dark the world can be. There are people in this room right now, and your celebration of Christmas, well, you'll still celebrate it, but it'll feel a little heavier now because there'll be an empty seat at your table. That's just the reality of life in the world that we live in. For some of you, you'll have moments of reflection, and you'll, your mind will take you to a relational dysfunction that if you could have any Christmas gift, you might say, I wish that relational dysfunction was healed, but it's not, and Christmas will Bring some of that to the surface as you think about all the merrymaking and all the family connecting and you're wanting deep down to maybe have those connections, but you can't because of this thing that's going on in a relationship. We all, we all know the darkness. Some of you, you'd love to buy certain gifts, but you can't because something happened this year financially in your family situation. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe something happened to you you couldn't control. And now you're thinking about buying gifts and trying to celebrate. But every time you make a decision on the forefront of your mind is some financial limitation. And it's an extra burden. In many ways, all of those struggles are the kinds of struggles that were present on that very first Christmas night when Jesus, the Savior of the world, was born into a manger, into a borrowed stable. As, as a pastor, I get to talk with people about the dark times of their life a lot, and we're not going to spend all of our time talking about darkness tonight, but I want us to contemplate for a few minutes four basic approaches to Christmas. Another way we could say this is four basic approaches to dealing with the darkness that all of us are aware of in the world. And at Christmas, we have a unique opportunity to set aside some time and reflect on this darkness that exists in the world at large, even in our own life. It's interesting at Christmas in a time that's merrymaking and supposed to be fun and enjoyable and connecting. In 2010, there was a survey done, and 18% of the respondents in that survey said that they dreaded Christmas. One-fifth of the respondents said they hated Christmas parties. And almost one half of the families in the United States this year are going to have one less person at their Christmas celebrations. So what do you do with all this darkness? I'm going to give you four ways of thinking about contemplating the darkness that exists in the world and maybe even some of it that exists in your life. And the first one I want to borrow from a famous literary character. The first blank there, number one, under the four ways of approaching Christmas. If you want to write the word, if you're keeping up, write down the word Scrooge. Do you know this character? Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge has an approach to dealing with the darkness. It goes something like this. Yes, darkness is all around and it always will be, so act accordingly. One of my favorite quotes in Charles Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol, where Ebenezer Scrooge is, is kind of rounded out in those words. Here's what 
Scrooge says, it's there for you, the quote, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. <laughs> the story of Christmas Carol begins with a dark character. Seems like every story begins with some kind of, every good story begins with some kind of challenge. And the Christmas story begins there as well. Charles Dickens commented on Ebenezer Scrooge. He used these words. Ebenezer Scrooge says that darkness is cheap. And so he liked it. He couldn't get enough of it. And he had a kind of a ruthless approach to the darkness that was around him. As he looked out on a bleak world, he looked ahead to the future and he lived accordingly. He wanted to make sure that he was taken care of, that he had a certain sense of security. And he thought that by holding on to stuff, it would bring him security in a world that was less than fully trustworthy. And he goes about maneuvering his life. And for those of you that know the story, have seen it on TV or watched the play, you know how that at the end, he comes to look at it differently. But the bulk of the play is this man trying to wrestle with the darkness that exists. And that's one way that you can handle the darkness. You can make your home in it. You can revel in it. It can define you. You can kind of have a bah humbug approach to Christmas and to life. It would be understandable if you did. Some of your stories in this room tonight are so overwhelmingly hard that if you were to respond to that hardness in your life with a I'm kind of checking out and I just want to protect me and I, I got to take care of me and mine if that's what you wanted to do it would be understandable but God came at Christmas time to speak into situations just like that and to help us not get stuck with simply a Scrooge approach to Christmas, not get stuck with the Scrooge approach to the challenges in life. There's a better way. And because Jesus has come into this world, we don't have to be defined simply by the challenges around us. One of the coolest things that Christmas reminds us of is that God isn't afraid of the dark. God can still be at work in the dark, and God loves to bring light to dark things. In our church, some of the most enjoyable moments for me as a leader in this church, as a one who gets to serve this congregation, as I get to watch people press through the darkness in their life, some marriage challenge that they thought it was over. They, they didn't stand before God and an audience and their friends and make promises to each other to ever wind up in the place that they now find themselves. They're disappointed. They're heartbroken. But one, most often both of them, will begin to soften their heart to the things of God. And the light of God begins to speak into their individual lives and begins to speak into their marriage. And when that happens, the light of God begins to pierce the darkness. And the candlelight begins to show and darkness begins to get pushed back. And one of the approaches to dealing with darkness is to have a kind of Scrooge approach to life. Let me give you the second one. A second approach is to have the shopper mentality, the sharper, the, the shopper mentality. Here's what the shopper says, that the light is going out in the world, so we need to celebrate while we can. The sun is setting, and before it sets, we're going to get all we can out of life. And the interesting thing about each of these approaches is they all have some hint of truth to them. The Scrooge is right when he says the world can be difficult and hard. He's right. And the shopper is right when he says, look, we don't, we don't have the promise of tomorrow. We're not sure what the future holds. So we're going to try to bring the most joy and the most engagement here and now in this world. And we're going to fill our life with stuff and experiences. 
There's a certain truthfulness to that. In fact, when Isaiah, the prophet, was talking about the coming Messiah in the world, he underscores, reinforces the idea that joy is part of what God wants to do in sending his son. So in Isaiah chapter 3, or chapter 9, verse 3, here's what our Bible says. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. So when Isaiah starts talking about the coming Messiah, he acknowledges the darkness, and then he starts talking about the joy that's going to come when the Messiah comes to the world. How that it may be dark and bleak, it may be the bleak midwinter, it may be a silent night, it may be a weary world, but there's rejoicing that's going to come. And so as he talks about it in anticipation of the event, he starts, he starts celebrating the fact that joy is the real emotion of Christmas. And one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, he says, the joy is the serious business of heaven. That what God wants to do in every man and woman who's listening to me and every man and woman who's ever been alive is he wants to convince them that the life he offers them will produce in them an indescribable joy. That's why poets gravitate towards the subject. That's why one of the finest musicals of all time, Handel's Messiah, at the end of that celebration of the Christmas story, the choir breaks into what is called the Hallelujah Chorus. And over and over and over again, this biblical word, Hallelujah, glory to God in the highest, praises to God gets sung over and over and over again. It's the closest we can come to expressing that full hope and joy that comes to us because of Christmas. And the shopper is almost there. The shopper's not necessarily religious. Maybe they've even given up on Jesus and the church, but they want to get their Christmas feels on. In fact, some of you might be here tonight because it's a Christmas tradition, and we're glad you're here. You're in the right place. We built this church in part for people who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, don't think they'll ever have a relationship with Jesus, sometimes like to think about things that are religious. You're in the exact right place. But the shopper, when thinking about the darkness in the world, they're there to replace the darkness with their personal feelings of merrymaking and personal experiences of joyfulness. And that's not all wrong, it just falls short. One more time, Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 4 and 5, look at how Isaiah begins to unpack the kind of joy that would come to the world when the Messiah comes. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, this is an echo back to the history of Jesus' people. There was a day when their enemy Midian was defeated. That's what it's going to feel like when Messiah comes. The enemy's going to be defeated. Here's what God did. You've You've shattered the yoke that burdened God's people, the bar across their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. So what's going to happen is all the stuff that brings pain in life when the Messiah comes, when his work is complete, all the stuff that brings discord and disharmony and pain in life, all that stuff is going to be changed. There's going to be no more use for it. In one place, the Bible talks about how swords will be beaten into plowshares because there won't be any more war. John Lennon's song about happy Christmas war is over, but Isaiah hundreds, thousands of years ago predicted that when Messiah come, he would bring an end to war, not just between nations. <laughs> he would bring a peace between people. 
And part of the joy of walking with God is that people who are distant, who are, who are at odds with one another can have peace. There, there can be a genuine reconciliation, not a pretend, not just get together and make good for the family meal, not just get together and sit around an open presence and tolerate, but there can actually be peace that happens between people. That kind of reconciliation, that kind of warring between each other can be destroyed. And there can be peace between humanity and their creator. A peace with God, peace with each other. And perhaps in our world, one of the greatest signs of peace and joy that God was bringing in by bringing a gift of the baby into the world was that you could have peace in your own heart. You get peace with others, peace with God, peace within yourself. This is part of the joy. So according to Jesus there in your message notes, creation is actually heading towards joy. We're not quite there all the way, but on Christmas evening, on that day, we took a giant step forward because God proved once and for all that he was a promise-keeping God and that he wasn't going to leave us to languish in our brokenness, in our pain, but he would step into the middle of the night with us and he would be there with us. And so the shopper gets close. The person trying to get the Christmas fields gets close, but there's so much more than just surface joy that's available. Let me give you one more approach to darkness, another approach maybe of engaging the Christmas season. Number three on your message notes is the word Santa. I'm a big fan of Santa. I really am. The problem is, though, is that sometimes a Santa approach, maybe you could use another word from a favorite Disney movie of mine, kind of a Pollyanna approach to pretend that the darkness doesn't exist, exist to so fill our mind and our thoughts with good stuff that we kind of drown out the negative stuff and there's a certain logic to that. Sometimes some of us are wired, we're so focused on the negative, we don't see the good. But there's a dark side to that focusing on the good that sometimes can actually pull you away from the reality of the life that you're in. It causes you not to deal with the real challenges that are in front of you. And at Christmas, one of the gifts that God gave us was the ability to be real and authentic about where we really were and to still hold on to hope that it can and will get better. The Santa mentality, it goes something like this. Darkness, what darkness? I'm choosing to only see the light. And the people that gravitate towards this are kind of often spiritual. And man, they're so close to what God wanted to do. What God wanted to do, by the way, was not to simply elevate you to a place where there's no more pain. Some, some of us have been disappointed in church in the past because we, taught, we thought, maybe we were told, but at least we thought that if we gave our lives to Christ, if we committed to following God with our lives, then somehow we'd be elevated to a plane where pain wouldn't touch us anymore. That if we did certain acts of kindness and if we gave certain money away and if we were kind to people in general, then the pain of life wouldn't touch us. But I got to be honest with you, that is not the message of Christianity and that is not the message of Christmas. At Christmas, there's incredible joy, incredible joy. But right on the other side of that joy is a very realistic understanding that pain is a part of our reality. And God isn't coming to simply overshadow the pain. He's actually coming to be with us in our pain. This morning, I told our congregation at our normal Sunday morning worship service that one of the names of Jesus that gets talked about and sung about at Christmas is the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel translated means God with us. 
And so because that's one of the titles, one of the names, one of the descriptors of this baby born in a manger, he would be God with us. The implication of that is, is that we don't wait on God for stuff. We actually get to wait with God for stuff. We're not asking God to show up necessarily. What we're trying to do is remember that God's actually with us in the darkness. That's what was happening in that stable that evening. There was this baby, God broke into time and space, put on human flesh, and sat in that little manger, demonstrating that God had the power to be honest about his challenges and the difficulties in the world, and he had the power to come into the middle of it, and he had the compassion to love us enough to sit there with us through our stuff. So these Santa types are spiritual, and sometimes when you think about the Santa message, the idea of believing comes up. One of my favorite Christmas uh, movies is the, uh, the Christmas Train, you know, you know this, this story, and, and if you believe enough, then, uh, then it's real, and some movies talk about how Santa's sleigh doesn't fly unless people believe, and so all you got to do is kind of believe, and Man, that's so close to what's going on, but it's more than just believing it and speaking good in the middle of the darkness. It really is about believing that God can show up in the middle of our stuff. And there's another challenge that I have as a pastor when it comes to the Santa mentality. I just want to share with you for your contemplation. You can talk about this maybe over the Christmas dinner, but have you ever thought deeply about the way we sing and talk about Santa? Let, let me give you one of, the, well, let me give you one of the, the songs that we sing about Santa. Here's how it goes. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. So far, so good, but it turns creepy. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. So is this a song about Christmas, or is this like the national anthem for North Korea? I'm not sure exactly what's happening. But if you think about the way some people treat Santa... And you think about some of the way some people think about God, there isn't much difference. I mean, the similarities between Santa and the popular perceptions of God are endless. I'm going to describe Santa for a minute. And as I'm describing him, if you forget I'm describing Santa and think I'm talking about God, this is exactly the problem I'm talking about. So Santa is basically for children. He lives very far away. He's irrelevant to the vast majority of our lives, but if we were to really want something, we might put in a request to him. He doesn't ever really show up, not that we can see, but actually we're not sure we really want him to show up. What we want is we want what Santa gives us, but we'd rather he didn't pull up in a chair and share our meals with us. We'd probably be glad that Santa never makes an appearance during our festivities. That would be odd. And honestly, he makes me a little bit nervous that an old man might just after a couple glasses of red wine or a little bit of partying might give a jolly ho, ho, ho and push beneath the beard and the catchphrases. And we're not really sure if he were to do that, what would really be there? We make wishes of him. We give him what we want. And when he doesn't show up, little kids all over the country will be disappointed. And you know that's true. That's why me and my wife go to great lengths to try to give our kids everything they want. And let's think about that for a second. We're basically telling our kids, all year long, we're asking you not to be selfish until Christmas. And then tell us what you want, and we'll do our best to give you everything you want. That's unsustainable, friends. It's not good. 
Now, I was describing Santa, but the truth is that some people kind of approach God that way. For so many people, the blank on your message notes, God is a distant, mostly irrelevant, possibly jolly, but not particularly personable dispenser of stuff. And we want his things. But on Christmas, God did not come to give us his things. He came to give us himself. He wanted to show up and to be with us. One of the primary images of the Christmas story is the God who pulls up a chair and sits down and eats with us. He becomes a part of our family. We know of God the Father. Sometimes if you've been around church, we refer to God as the Father. But did you know that Jesus was referred to as your elder brother? Now, depending on your family situation, this may not be a pleasant image. But in a really good family, the older brother is there to come alongside. And when there's a challenge, he has a little extra strength because he's older. And he, come, and he helps lift that burden. And sometimes he's been a few more steps ahead in life. And so when you're coming through a challenge, the older brother steps step, and he has a little bit of wisdom to share about what you're going through because he's already gone through it. And when you're needing a little bit of help, he's there to cheer you on. This is one of the images of Jesus in the Bible. One of the reasons you're invited to be a part of the family of God is you get the father. But you, you get this older brother in Jesus. So when Christians talk about God, we're not talking about wish fulfillment. We're not... We're not talking about a light that we hope exists beyond the darkness. We're actually talking about a light that showed up in the darkness. That's why Isaiah writes in chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. He'll take authority, he'll rule and reign. And he'll be called, listen to these words, wonderful counselor. That's dealing with the darkness. He'll be called the mighty God. That's dealing with the limitations on our life. He'll be called the everlasting father. That's a good word for our day because so many of us have mixed images of fatherhood. But he'll be the everlasting father. And he will be the prince of peace. So again, when Christians talk about Jesus, we're talking about a light that showed up in the darkness. Not one that pretends the darkness doesn't exist. I've talked about Scrooge. I've talked about the shopper. I've talked a little bit about a Santa mentality to the things of God and the darkness of this world, but I want to give you the fourth one, the one that zeroes right in on the Christmas message. It's the stable, the stable approach. I love that image of the stable. We, we don't know if it's a cave. We don't know if it's a wooden structure. All we know is that animals were kept there because there was no room for them in the end. And so they're offered to go stay in the place where the animals stay. So the original Christmas message says this, yes, there is darkness, but we're offered the brightest future because of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, Mary brought forth her, forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. In the end. When I think about this stable, it has incredible highs and incredible depths. It runs the gamut of human experience, in my opinion. It's, it's a small but mighty picture. Again, C.S. Lewis, my favorite author, he says it this way. Into that small stable one night came a God who was bigger than anything this universe had ever known. And this little baby shows up, and from the outside, he looks just like a cute little boy wrapped in swaddling clothes. 
But to a handful of people who saw it, they knew that something else was going on. God's great big message of love and light was on display. And it came in the most vulnerable of packaging. He didn't come in great power, lording it over and overwhelming. He came vulnerable like a baby. In one sense, I don't know theologically how this holds up, but in one sense, he was very breakable. So he had to be carefully held. He had to hold his neck. So I have four kids. I loved holding my kids because I thought if I broke them, it's no big deal. But as a pastor, I have to hold a lot of other kids. I'm going to tell you, every time I do it, it makes me nervous. Because little babies are breakable. And I feel like, you know, one little move of the head, I'm in trouble. I don't know. So I'm always like, okay, thank you. Here's your baby. All right? So, so Jesus comes in this baby form. And he, listen, he had to be potty trained. He had to be taught. There's scripture passages about Jesus being taught things. He came incredibly vulnerable because he came to be with us in that dark place, bringing light by his presence. You don't have to pretend it's not dark. You don't have to hold up and protect yourself. You don't have to overwhelm yourself with so many good experiences so that the darkness doesn't speak into your life. The Christmas message is, you can be real because real love has come to this world. And it came in a stable, not a mansion, not in a palace. Literally, that manger became a throne for the king of the universe. And our heavenly father, through the gift of Jesus, paid an ultimate price. He paid a high price to be able to come near to us. And he came in a package that would be unassuming and safe and vulnerable because what he wanted was not to just be there, but to be connected, intimately connected to us, to be able to walk with us, not overwhelm us simply with his presence so that we would be in awe. Although if you walk with God, there are great moments of awe, but he wanted more than that. He wanted an intimate relationship with us so that life could be done with him at every turn. When it's really going well, to celebrate. When it's going rough, to consolate, to be a conciliatory agent in our life to the things of God, to our own dreams and hopes, and to call us to more with that gentle, loving way that the best friends can do. To pick us up when we fall, to come alongside us. He loved us that much that he sent his one and only son. That's how John, in John chapter 3, verse 16, describes us, describes what we're talking about from a theological or spiritual perspective. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him, trust him, understand it, embrace it, could have eternal life. That means that in heaven things will be right, but not just in heaven. Part of God sending Jesus into the world would be that heaven would, in some regards, come to earth. It wouldn't be complete. We'd still have challenges. But some of the beauty that is heaven would be a part of our existence here and now. And he paid the price to do that. That's what love does. Love, in your message notes, love bears the cost to draw near. And he paid the cost to do that. He wrapped himself in human flesh when the Apostle Paul was writing about this some 30 years or so after Jesus' death, and he's trying to describe to the 
church at the city of Philippi, what it was like, he, he says that God didn't think so much of himself. Jesus didn't think so highly of himself that he was unwilling to step out of heaven and onto earth. He was not so haughty and high and mighty, although he had every right to be. But he was willing to take on our form and to live among us. In fact, John, one of the apostles, writes it about it this way in John chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. The world did not yet recognize him, so he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Again, I refer to my favorite author, C.S. Lewis. He says it this way, that the Son of God became a son of man so that sons and daughters of men could become sons and daughters of God. That's what Christmas is really about. It's about the God who breaks through something profound happened in that stable. Once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world combined. That's the power of Christmas. And it's the gift that we get to unwrap today to think about. If you're a follower of Jesus already, you're a Christian, you're trying, of course, you're not perfect. But today you get to, in one new way today, in a moment, you get to think with awe again about the gift of God in your life and what it means to you. If maybe you were following Jesus in your life at some point, but it's been a long time. Maybe that seems like ages ago. Maybe something happened. Somebody disappointed you. Maybe you just fell out because it wasn't the pattern in your life and it just is no longer an active thing. At Christmas, you get to unwrap that gift again if you want and look again with fresh eyes of the gift of God in your life. And, and if you've never yet made a commitment to let the light of Jesus come into your life to receive the gift, to open the gift that your heavenly Father sent you through Jesus, you get a chance to do that tonight. In fact, in a he came down not to pretend darkness didn't exist, but to be in it with us. And the way you open that profound gift, it's a lot of ways to say it. The Bible uses language of you get born again, which is just a way of saying you get a fresh start on life. Some people use the phrase, you get saved, and that means you get saved from this sense that there is no hope, there is no future. You get saved from your own sinfulness. We say around here that you can begin to follow Jesus. On Christmas, I'd like to say it this way. You can open the gift that God has wrapped up for you in the person of Jesus, and you can trust him to come alongside you as your elder brother, as an everlasting father, as the prince of peace. If you'd like to do that, I want to direct your eyes to that set of words that are a prayer at the bottom of your message notes. You can also look up on the side screens and follow along with me as I read. And if you believe these words and you want to make a step towards Jesus, this can be an act of your faith. And you can secure a relationship with God right now. So Josh is going to help me say it. Josh, on the screen up there, here's how it goes. Dear Father, it's hard in the dark. And I recognize that there's darkness in me too. I'm sorry for my selfishness and sin. Thank you for Jesus, your gift. Thank you that he came to live my life here in the darkness. Thank you that he died my death on the cross. And thank you that he rose again. I now receive him into my life. May he be my Lord, my guide, and my forever friend. Accept me as your child. Fill me with your spirit and help me to walk 
with Jesus and his people through the darkness and into your eternal light. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd like to offer a prayer for everybody right now, and then I want to share with you something really, really cool that God's doing around here. Would you bow with me? Father, for those people that in their hearts were, had a big yes to the words we just said, I thank you. I thank you that the gift of Jesus was not a gift that came one time and the event was over, only to be remembered as an event in history. But God, in a very real way, you're still coming into this world. You've come into the lives of some people here tonight, and I'm grateful for that. God, it is our belief that you love us so much that you sent your one and only son that if we believe in you, we would not perish, but we would have life with you everlasting. Thank you for the men and women who have accepted the gift of Jesus into their life. We pray this in God's holy and precious name. Amen and amen. One of the reasons I shared with you that video is because over the last little bit, our church has been engaged in a pretty remarkable step of advancement with our kids' ministry. And Josh here is our newest member on staff, one of the newest members that we have on staff. He's been with us for six months. And over the last year, just ending two weeks ago, we've been building out our space for our kids' ministry. And one of the primary things we wanted to do was to create a special needs sensory aware room. This is a room where kids who sometimes can't enjoy all the activities that we do in our spaces and ministry on Sunday morning can go into this space. The sensory experience is a little bit more controlled. It's a little more quiet. We cater more to the individual kid versus the group at large. And in our congregation, we have several families who have kids who have special needs, special challenges that make it extra hard for them to come. And we've been wanting for years to address that head on. And so last year, this congregation gave an incredible offering to build the space, and we did that along with eight bathrooms and many more kids' spaces to serve this community. It's been pretty remarkable what's got done. And this Sunday, in fact, our brand new kids' wall got opened up, right? This is a rock climbing wall, so some of your kids aren't going to want to leave. That's exactly what we wanted to have happen. Um, but we're going to open up this special needs room in just a little bit of time. Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this sensory special needs room and what we can expect over the next three to four months. Yeah, so we're really excited about what God's doing. <clears throat> the opportunity for us to invest into families with uh, special needs kids. Um, Pastor Ben and I had the opportunity to talk through some of this before I even came on staff. And I actually grew up in a family of 11 in which my parents adopted nine of us. Multiple, multiple of my siblings are special needs, and so a church that has this kind of heart and this willingness to serve is absolutely incredible. And uh, with that being said, we've got a plan laid out. So in January, we're going to do some training. In February, we're hoping to open up the special needs room for those of you who call this place home. And then in February, we're going to open it up for one service. Or in March. In March. No, yeah, sorry, March. Uh, we'll open it up in one service, and in April, all goal, all goal is to open it up for the entire, uh, for both services. Yeah. So we're really excited about this. This is going to be a great way for us to serve. And so as we've been talking about this, many of you have stepped up. And i got to tell you, uh, Four Corners, in a world, I've had the, the, good, the good fortune of doing some traveling in the world. And you have to understand, in a lot of parts of the world, kids who have challenges like this, they're considered disposable. And I'm just thrilled to be a part of a community of people who believe that God's light and love shines bright even in this place. And we have an incredible opportunity to love families and these kids I'm just stoked about what you've done over the last year and what we're about to do. So, Josh, um, what can we expect in terms of a church 
Um, if, some, if we know somebody who has, uh, like a kid who has some challenges, what kind of language can we offer them as we begin to roll this out that would say to them, here's a way we can serve you better? So our hope is that ultimately the special needs kids will still be a part of what's going on in 4C Kids. This sensory safe room is not to pull them away, but to actually give them the opportunity to, if the environment is a little overwhelming or sensory overload, it's a place that they can go to that is safe. And so the ultimate goal is for them to come in and be able to experience Jesus just like any other kid in our kids' ministry, but also have a place for them that is safe and is, has an opportunity for them to grow in Christ in a, in a safe environment that they can. That's pretty incredible. And I think that your giftedness and your experience provides us a unique leadership advantage in this place. I mean, you lived with this in your home. It kind of comes natural. I mean, this is relatively new for me. My heart's there, but you've lived a lot of this. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I was watching the video, and this is completely unscripted, but one of the things that really stuck out to me was just the heart of that girl. And one of my sisters who was in a wheelchair, um, had uh, multiple disabilities, had, was mentally handicapped to probably a fourth grade level, will say some of the most profound things that you'll ever hear. And um, she passed away a couple years ago, and she said one of the most incredible things that I'll ever hear. She looked at my mom uh, a couple days before she passed, and she said, if I don't wake up in the morning, I'll see you at the gates. Wow. And, I mean, you're talking about a girl who literally has the level of a fourth grader. Um, wow. And so I love the fact that we're a church, and we have a staff, and we have a pastor that isn't looking beyond these kids, but is saying, hey, they're a part of who we are, um, and they're just as much of a gift to us um, as any other kid that walks through our doors. That's awesome. So around here, when we hear things that stir us, we don't want to just be stirred. We like to take steps. So earlier in the service, Pastor Joseph referenced you to our Connect card. For those of you that call this home, please pull it out. If you're our guest, you're welcome to as well. This is the part where we're actually going to take some steps together to not just hear something, but to move forward with it as well. So next step A says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me earlier and you were committing your life to Christ or recommitting, you can check that box. We're not going to hound you. We're going to send you a couple of emails about some next steps you can take as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to show you some ways that we can serve you if you want us to. And if not, that's okay, all right? You're just as saved. God loves you just as much if you don't check the box. But if you do, we'd love to give you some opportunities. Or next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. Baptism is a big deal around here. It's one of the ways we celebrate with our church family what God is doing in their lives. So if you have questions about baptism or want to get baptized, you just check the box. In a moment when the offering bucket comes along, you put that in there, and that's how we communicate with you about it. Now, next step C is a chance for you to be honest. When you came in the front door, you walked through the, near the sign that says real love now. The real part of that is authenticity, and this step gives you a chance to simply be authentic and says, pray for me as I face some darkness in my life. Now, if you want to tell us what it is on the back, you can write your prayer requests, and I promise you this staff will pray for you, and our prayer leads will pray for you. And if you don't want to tell us what it is, just check the box and we'll pray for you by name in a general fashion. But it's your chance to say, God, I got some darkness in my life and I'd like for you to be a part of that and bring some light there. And we'd like to hold you up in prayer on that. And next step D, if you want, it says, you'll see me at 4C in the new year. So if you're a regular attender around here, check that box, all right? And if you're a relative guest to us, maybe you've been here a few times and you want to be part, we'd love to in response to this check mark, send you some of the opportunities to let you know what's happening. The first message series of the new year is about hearing God, how to hear God in your life and, and to respond to what he's speaking to you. And then next step E says, um, I'll be a part of my Christmas gift 2018. If you're our guest, uh, this is really not for you. You're welcome to participate. This is an opportunity that people who call this church home do every year where we take a little bit of our money 
beyond what we normally give, and we set it apart for things like building this sensory needs room. We, we also have an orphanage in India that we've built. Uh, we just uh, a few years ago broke ground on a boys' home on the same campus. We're partnering with Cuba. We feed hungry neighbors of ours in Hamilton. And this year, we're also partnering with the Healing Center in Tri-County that does a whole host of amazing hand-up kind of ministries. And so our church every year at Christmas gives a gift to the Christmas child, to Jesus, not just gifts to each other. And we do some incredible ministries with it. If you want to be a part of it, you can. For those who call this home again, remember this morning I told you we're halfway to our goal of $60,000. We're at like $33,115. We're doing incredible. And uh, tonight, uh, it wouldn't be unusual for, uh, for us to knock all of that out, all right? And then again, if you're our guest, you can participate. You don't have to be a part of that. But we have some folks that are coming right now to receive our gifts, our tithe and offering. If you are our guest, the gift that you can give us, most importantly, is this Connect card. Just drop it in the bucket. And that's how we collect them, and that's how we communicate. When we get done with this portion, um, we're going to stand together, and we're going to sing Silent Night, and we're going to enact the thing that Jesus did in coming to the earth. We're going to literally light candles and drive away that darkness. And as you do it, I want you to see how the light of Christ can spread all around. But first, let's pray about these next steps. I'd ask you to pray about this century needs ministry that we're going to develop this year, that God will give us an amazing opportunity to serve people. And I'd love for you to pray about our offering so that we can fund fully all the work that we want to do to be a light in this world. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you broke into our dark world and you got right with us in our darkness. I pray, Lord, that you would be with these steps that are being taken tonight that you would cause us to walk boldly, confident of your love for us. We grow in our understanding of who you are. Lord, I pray for this ministry towards kids with special challenges, that you'd give us a unique and special favor to serve families in our church and outside these walls. It's hard on them sometimes, and we'd like to come alongside them. And we know, God, that while we can be nice, we really can't make a spiritual impact unless you're a part. So, Father, would you lead it? Would you bless it? Would you be a part of it? And, Father, for our offering tonight, we pray that you would take it, make it go far and wide. Help us to serve people in a way that honors you and brings light to our dark world. We pray it in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy Son. Amen and amen.